0: Welcome back. Class is in session here in lecture hall room 101 of the stately Apartment Academy. I am your professor Cunningham here and the Dean of the Apartment Academy. The Apartment Academy podcast is the multifamily industry's only operations focused podcast, featuring insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. So if you invest in multifamily real estate, or you're involved in the day-to-day operations of um, apartment buildings, we are your source for efficient operations and maximizing ROI. Today's podcast is with Justin Steltenpol, who is COO of PB Bell, which is a Scottsdale-based owner, operator, developer of multifamily, and as we're going to learn uh, now, build-to-rent communities. And uh, we depart a little bit from the usual operations focus to talk a little bit about the economics behind developing um, dense multifamily communities versus Build to Rent and some of the trends that we're seeing that are going to continue uh, to grow to support the Build to Rent environment. So I think today, if especially if you're interested in in learning about investing and and um, operating uh, single-family homes in a built to Rent environment, today's going to be very interesting for you. So let's bring him on. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the Apartment Academy. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So Justin, let's start off with talking. Before we jump into to, to talking about a bit about uh, PB Bell, I, I it you have um I think probably a slightly different journey than a lot of folks that that you find ending up as chief operating officers of of uh you know significant operators like PB Bell. So if you wouldn't mind, just talk a little bit about uh, your background and and then what brought you into the industry because I know nobody gets here um, uh, by on purpose, like it's, it's by accident. So I'm guessing some, some similar story plays with you as well. So if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of background.
1: Yeah, it it absolutely was by accident. A very fortunate accident for me. Um, I originally started working with PB Bell back in the recession, uh, helping them navigate their way through some of the difficulties. Um, I was a finance lawyer by trade, um, ran into Chapin and Phil, uh, Phil Bell is the original founder, Chapin is the current owner. And um you know, just help help them through navigating through that difficult time. I mean, so many operators, so many companies, so many real estate entities didn't survive that recession. And um, it's always been a source of pride that PB Bell was able to withstand that storm. Uh, been around since 76. And so after that happened, you know Chapin and I actually developed a pretty close personal friendship. Um, he kept telling me that you know it was time for me to come on board and, and join the PB Bell team um and, and i said that's great but you can't afford me um so eventually in, in uh, around 2014 they, they acquired a huge portfolio it was actually the largest single uh transaction in arizona history at the time uh eight tra- eight, eight properties 168 million dollars and at that point in time they kind of became big enough and they needed that full-time legal so when i came on board the idea was that i would um, continue with the legal side of things as I really learn the ins and outs of the business. And PB Bell is, is both a developer and an operator. We also have a construction arm through an affiliate of ours. So we really are a, a three-legged stool, if you will, um, having all aspects of the development in multifamily. And then once I kind of learn the ropes of, of the, the real multifamily, not the finance and the legal side of it, but the real side of it, um, I took over as COO, and now I run the development um, as the the COO. Um, I do asset manager type stuff for our property services group, um, so I have more of an owner perspective. Although I do get to see behind the curtain, so to speak, um, from an operational standpoint.
0: And PB Bell's portfolio is um, just to clarify for the audience: is is it is there any third party management, or is it all you develop, you own, and then operate?
1: Um, we develop, we own, we operate, and we have third-party management as well. Actually, the majority of our portfolio these days is uh, third-party, uh, much to our property services group's chagrin. Uh, I'm selling our our developments way too fast for them, uh, but in this market, you know, you can't blame me for that. So,
0: yeah, right. Uh, when you can sell things at a two cap, uh, hard to hard <laughs> hold on to that.
1: But we aren't quite there yet, but we're getting <laughs> close.
0: Um, so the, and, and the size, what's the size of the, of the portfolio?
1: Um, you know, we fluctuate as we go in and out. We are only Phoenix based. Um, we're actually getting ready. I shouldn't say we're only Phoenix based. We do do some third party stuff up in Prescott. Um, and we are getting ready to open our first Flagstaff project. But right now we're, we fluctuate right around 10,000 units.
0: Got it. Got it. And, um, what would you say from a, from a, from an operation standpoint, um especially from you know sort of the corporate operations standpoint is there anything that that you think pb bell does just really well that sets the company up for success in terms of its policies procedures
1: you know i think we do a couple of things um a little bit different from a corporate standpoint i think our values uh our core values really result in a very familial atmosphere um, that allows us to do a great job of not only um getting the top talent but actually retaining that talent um you know we really do the executive team shaping down uh we really do show up and recognize that it's our folks that make us who we are um i i'm the the folks that we have on site have 10 times the visibility to the public that I do. So when people think about PB Bell, they don't think about Justin. They think about the people that are renting and leasing. They think about our operational folks, and uh, we do a we do a great job, I think, better than anybody, in making sure those people realize they're appreciated and taking care of them.
0: Well, that well, let's dive into that a little bit. I, I, I you have a couple core values that I I think are interesting and certain one which is um, unusual, which is enjoy the ride. Um, okay. And you have another one, which is akin to what show you care along. Correct. something along, the, Yeah. Yep. So uh, definitely understand those. Well, I definitely understand show you care within the context of what you just said, because if there's one thing people need to understand about this business, it is, it is principally a people business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hear you on the front on that front, how important that is. Tell me a little about the enjoy the ride part, because I'm going to I'll preface this by. Saying that, I think having been on the operations side myself, right, and the asset management side, it's a very difficult industry. The folks in the field, what they go through emotionally is difficult. Um, it is, uh, it's a very stressful. Kind of. So, tell me, how do you imbue the company with enjoy the ride in the midst of a profession that's often derided as being, um, you know, just 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 a grind
1: you know it's an interesting concept you'll notice i don't know if you took a look at our website but you notice that we have behaviors and then and then at the end of our values and behaviors we have enjoy the ride it's kind of an overarching theme uh, because it really does impact every single one of our of our core values. And that is you, you got to have fun. You got to love what you do. You got to be able to enjoy it because, as you said, there's so much stress. There's so much negativity there, especially during this pandemic. I mean, it's reached epic heights um, and, and everything seems to be polarizing people. Now there's no there's no middle ground to anything, it seems, anymore um and like show you care you know it's interesting you point out those two because from an operational standpoint those really are the two most difficult you know being present listening actively respecting people in their time you have to do that even when they're yelling at you you have to you have to recognize as an individual that this doesn't really have anything to do with you you just happen to be the person that's standing in front of them it could be you it could be me it could be the dog um, but that's how, and, and you enjoy the ride by a first and foremost, recognizing that and b taking pride in being able to get that person to come down a little bit and recognizing that you can rise above that and still give them excellent service and turn that person. So the next time they come into that office, they're not yelling at you and then go out and have a beer with your friends and, uh, relax a little bit. I <laughs> have how do you- one on the company for that.
0: <laughs> or yeah or two or three. um how do you uh, how do you train on that justin i think it, you, i mean one is you obviously probably try to hire right i can imagine these core values play in your hiring policies but um it's not a natural skill for many people mm-hmm. and so tell us a little bit how does pb bell given the, how important that is how do you support that in terms of training or, or, or otherwise maybe there's other things you do to to teach those qualities
1: Um, A lot of it is just we have a lot of training on dealing with toxic people, um, dealing with adversity. We have we started out with what we called our grow uh, training program back in 2015. Uh, If we weren't the first, we were one of the first that had their own in-house training program. Um, And it's just a continual training. You said it first and foremost, it's hiring the right people. Um, And we hire people from all over. We hire um, a lot of different folks. I mean, I can tell you, I've been at a, a restaurant where I was that angry individual And, you know, an individual talked me down in about three seconds, which for those that know me, know that that's virtually an impossible task. And I literally offer the person a job right on the spot uh, because if they can talk me down, that's the kind of person we need to hire. Um, And so, you know, it's just a matter of finding that right person, continuing that training and positive reinforcement. We have our values in action. We have a lot of very positive reinforcement of that type of behavior. If you're living our values, you're going to be compensated.
0: So there's a compensation component. You, you—is there a way then to measure the extent to which folks are representing these values? Is it a subjective?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's subject. Everything is to a certain degree subjective. Uh, but we have we have programs in place where our residents can recognize people, uh, other uh, employees can recognize people. Even if you're not a runner, maybe you just did a tour and this person did a great job you know you leave a comment that puts somebody up for an award and we give these awards weekly monthly um on top of all the other bonus programs we have compensation is a huge part of it obviously for most people compensation in some form of recognition is really what people want they just want to be recognized for doing that job and and we do our very best to do it are we perfect of course not but we do our best
0: Uh, you uh for you know for those of uh, those of you out there that are you know considering getting into the business on the on the operation side first of all if you're going to work for a company i would i would think this kind of culture would be key to to look for because you you need this support the kind of support you're talking about from your corporate headquarters um to make it through the, the the difficult times i mean there's plenty there's plenty to like about property management i shouldn't you know i don't want to make it sound yeah but um but it is critical i think to have the kind of support you're talking about for folks in the field to feel like their contributions are uh, you know beyond just getting things leased up right um that there's they're making a difference in people's lives we in this industry we we get a little bit of you know, we get a little bit very personal peek into the personal things that are happening in people's lives. People get divorced and and people lose their jobs and they have to come and talk to the community manager about those things because it impacts Mm -hmm. our ability to pay rent. And and to be able to uh, sort of effortlessly handle those kind of delicate situations uh, really makes a difference in resident satisfaction, I'm sure. Has, yeah, go ahead,
1: Justin. You, you, you make an interesting point. You, you know, you talk about our values. I don't know if you looked at our overall mission. And, and the very first part of our mission is making lives and places better. Um, and, and that's important to us. You know, the executive team, I can tell Chapin and I feel very strongly that we are creating somebody's home. And, and you, as the property services person, are on the front line of creating that home and that experience for them. And I don't care if it's, you know, a Class B affordable housing product or a Class A plus luxury product. That's somebody's home. And it's important that we allow that person to be proud of that home and be proud of the people they come home to, which is part of you as the staff. And and we definitely look for that. We reward that. We preach that. It's every single thing we do. It, it really is. We're trying to make somebody's life better. That's our job.
0: Is is there anything about the last you know eighteen months with COVID that has that forced you to to sort of retack how you approach supporting the folks in the field that you you want to talk about?
1: Is there anything we haven't had to change? Um, You know, as as the individual who set our policies, um, I can tell you that COVID was probably the most challenging time of my career. Uh, And as you can tell by looking at me, I am incredibly old. Um, So it's been a very long career, but, um, you know, and it it was balancing. It's always balancing that, you know, for us, we, we set out at the beginning and we said, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna do the bare minimum. Our people are our most important asset and we need to take care of those people. We need to make sure that they are safe, that they feel safe and that they know that they have our support above all else. So we closed down amenities before we were required to by government mandate. We didn't reopen when we said we could, when they said we could. Um, we took the pulse of our people we made sure our folks felt safe um, and it was a matter of just recognizing that, you know, something, hey, maybe the filter changes are going to have to take a back seat while we figure out how to do this and keep people safe um, and then balancing that with overall operational needs. I still have to operate my property. I mean, if somebody's got a plumbing problem, I can't say, well, gee, you know, I'd love to help you, but I'm worried about COVID. I got to go solve that plumbing problem. So tackling those issues and how to do it. Uh, but i think again for us it was all about keeping our people safe and making making sure that they felt comfortable
0: i was on a panel um at apartmentalize uh last year we talked about um the focus was partly on policies and procedures especially in the time of COVID. and and somebody uh, stated a statistic that in some areas there were as many as 35 um, different policy changes coming a week that uh, were COVID-related, health-related, safety-related, that sort of thing. How does, um, how does PB Bell normally communicate policies and procedures out to the field and, and, and ensure that there's adherence to those, compliance? And did that change at all uh, in the last you know, 18 months?
1: Yeah, the, the, probably the biggest change is uh, the policies came from me. Um, normally i'm not the one that's setting those out you know we did very early on in the pandemic um, we started having weekly executive calls uh every monday morning where all we talked about for an hour and a half was covid the impact on our operations and what we were going to do and we did this for probably almost the first year of the pandemic just to make sure that uh, we were staying abreast of everything it took up probably 80 percent of my time just trying to keep up um, and, and the thing that was amazing is nobody really knew what, what was going on. You know, you got such contradictory um, opinions and policies, and, and everything was coming from everywhere. We did manage to avoid that concept. We didn't change our policies that often. Um, again, we kind of were ahead of the curve, so we really didn't have to. And we stayed behind the curve, I guess ahead of the curve, if you will, um, in, in keeping stuff closed a little bit longer to see how to see how things went. We took a very conservative approach, and I think that, that helped us in not changing policies 35 times a week. Um, but I think probably the only difference, what we did, and, and this typically happens this way, we'll have the policy, the policy come out, it goes to the, the leasing manager on property, and that leasing manager is then required to make sure her folks are um, performing. And And this is an individual, I mean, it's not like the old days where you had a ten million dollar asset. I mean, our assets are one hundred and fifty million dollars. So I'm putting somebody in charge of a hundred and fifty million dollar asset. I think I should be able to rely on that person to to pass along a policy change. Um, and and we do expect them to do that. We do expect them to um, adhere to it, and they do a fabulous job. Um, where I was getting and and again, we made it very personal. So if somebody had a question on COVID. It was either my HR director or me that they called every single person. We had test positive or came into close contact. I was on the phone with them um, and, and we did that intentionally. Again, just that reiteration of how important they are.
0: What about um, and, and forgive me, since I know you, I mean, uh, um, there's various levels of, of responsibilities that COOs have in companies for day to day operations, but Outside of policies and procedures related to COVID, were there any other structural changes that that PB Bell made that would be interesting to talk about? For example, um, virtual leasing. Right. Um, Did that take did that take hold in PB Bell in the way it has other places? Do you think that will continue to uh, gain traction in our industry?
1: Um, It did. You know, it was interesting because, as I said, we shut down before a lot of people did. And so when we shut down, you didn't have 27 different companies offering virtual tours and, you know, all of the fun apps and everything you have these days. It's amazing to me to sit here and look and see where virtual tour went in a, in a seven month period of time. Our first virtual tour was a leasing agent walking around with a cell phone. I mean, that was literally our first virtual tour on a, on a lease up property that we had. Uh, it, it has come a long way. I think it is here to stay to a certain degree. Um, our experience, and I, I think this is pretty consistent throughout, is that it's not... You can't replace that one on one contact, that personal connection, as you said earlier, Um, you know, it's it's all about this a person industry and it's a people industry. And you have to make that personal connection. You want to be successful in operations, make that person your friend, you know, and and you will be successful. You know we had a leasing agent It's one of my favorite stories she was by far the best leasing agent we ever had she would get shocked and she would just get awful scores on her shops i mean just awful scores but everybody who walked in even even the the shops they were like i I felt like they were my best friend you know And, and so that person was incredibly successful so i i i don't think you're ever gonna see a complete replacement and going to a verge. I shouldn't say ever, maybe in 10 years you will, but I don't think that's a near term thing. I think people will use it, it'll be a screening tool. I think it's a great screening tool, but I think at the end of the day, people wanna come in and see who their community managers, who their community staff is gonna be. And I think those people will always uh, be critical to, to a, a, a well-run operation.
0: Do you think the same can be said for, Uh, the rise of of bots that are answering, you know, leasing inquiries, and that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: I I think all that stuff, Daniel, to be honest with you, has to do with uh, this instantaneous concept we have. Everybody wants things now, now, now. You know, nobody wants to wait 20 minutes. You know, they call you up at nine o'clock at night. They want to answer at nine o'clock at night. Um, and, And so I think you give them, you know, you have your chat bots that come up and give them the nice answer. So they feel like they're, they're doing something and getting that instant 15 second social media response Uh, but yeah at at the end of the day chatbot can't go and fix your plumbing chatbot can't take your maintenance request chatbot isn't going to come talk to you about what you have to do because you're getting a divorce that personal connection is always going to be there it's always going to be required the other thing you have to realize is especially now i mean the biggest change i've even seen since i've been and i'm i'm not you know, a 50 year veteran of, of multifamily. But the biggest difference I'm seeing now is the absolute diversity in our renter pool. I mean, I got everybody from 20 year olds in college to 60 year old multimillionaires living in the same property. And I can tell you, these two people do not want the same thing. You know, they have a, there's a very, very diverse renter pool and trying to, adhere to the requirements of each one is very very challenging and again it takes that personal touch Um, a chatbot's not for everybody
0: yeah yeah um there's also you know you you said this just a second ago like you a chatbot can't fix your fix your toilet um there is more discussion though about pushing more maintenance out to the resident the diy maintenance option you feel similarly about that like i imagine
1: I think it depends. I I think it depends upon, you know, if I'm we don't do a lot of high rise, I'm somewhat familiar with high rise, but we don't do a lot of that. But I'm not sure I want my resident doing a whole lot in a high rise building. Now, in a bill for rent, that's slightly different, um, especially if it's all detached. And I think in the bill for rent detached space, you're going to see a lot of that. Because, you know, there's kind of a divergent right now about whether that operational model for a, a build-to-rent product is the same as it is for a traditional garden or a, a high-rise or what have you. Um, I probably land more in the the camp that it's not really the same. There are some differences, although I think if, if as your core business, you excel at general operations, you're going to excel there. I mean, it, operations is operations. If you're good at it, you're good at it, and you'll figure it out um but i do see that type of self service um becoming very common in that area
0: single um, family home yeah. built to rent yeah yeah Absolutely. much more decentralized uh maintenance and yep. probably
1: And if they And if they screw it up, they're only screwing up their unit. I don't risk them screwing up 400 different units. (laughs) Uh, When you got 400 units in danger, I think I'd probably take it myself. Thanks. I mean, maybe things like changing filters, but even something like that, you know, you're kind of relying on that person to actually do it. And, you know, even if it's an ongoing maintenance item like that, and, you know, how, how many of us in our own personal homes change our air filters every 90 days? Uh, I I do it simply because I I've worked for a, a real estate company. I know what happens if you don't. So
0: has PB Bell traditionally developed um, detached for rent housing? No. And,
1: no, as a matter of Phoenix is kind of the birthplace of it. Um, you know, it's really interesting. It really kind of started and grew here, and it's it's exploded just on a popularity standpoint. Not only not only with respect to buyers, um, you know, your your price per unit is way higher. Uh, your rents are a little bit higher. It's real popular with renters, um, and right now it, it's the soup du jour for all of all of the all of the investors. Everybody wants to invest in in build for rent. Um, we are actually in the process of we're, we've got I think three of them right now ready to go, um, and we'll be doing those here shortly. Well, that's
0: the end of part one of today's interview with our guest professor. Tune in next time for the rest of the interview.